So they tell me over under 0.5 running backs to go in the first round. I take the under. They show me the plus 200 money, right? Right. And maybe some of you did as well, but you know, you know, the gut wrenching pain that you, you experienced that midnight last night, Eastern time, at least when the Kansas City Chiefs went on the clock as the last team to potentially take a running back in the first round. And there was just something telling you that, man, the analysts are saying DeAndre Swift's the best one left on the board, the quote unquote analysts. And then you get down and you hear the pick that it is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. No. 0.5 on the under gets absolutely wrecked. The favored, the minus money actually hits. The donkeys hit, if you will. And that is how my draft night ends. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, a shocking pick, if not uh, by for many draft boards to go as the first running back off the board, let alone the first running back in the first round. But man, oh man, does it make sense for this Kansas City Chiefs offense. And today I'm going to be talking through the round one of the draft. We're going to do recap it today. We're only going to look at the offensive players, the players that we care about for fantasy purposes, and honestly, the ones that are sexy, right? We're going to talk through the running backs that were taken. There's one. We're going to talk to the wide receivers that were taken. That actually the overhit for that one. Hopefully some of you got in on that as well. There was in this draft, six wide receivers taken. The over-under was around five and a half in most spots, opened at five pretty early. And then the four, and yes, there were four uh, in some controversy there, quarterbacks taken in this draft. So we're going to go through those players pretty briefly, recap around one of the NFL draft. I appreciate you being here. My name is Sal Vetri. cover fantasy football. I cover fantasy sports in general, daily fantasy sports. If you would just hit that subscribe button. It does help this channel out a ton. Thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. Whatever platform you're listening on, I hope you're having a great start to your day. So I'm going to be honest, that draft last night was not that entertaining up until maybe the last pick. It was very status quo. There was no trades in the tr- in the top 10 for the first time since 2015. Not a lot was happening in the NFL draft. I think C.D. Lamb, who we're going to talk about, where he actually landed in Dallas was the first thing that made me go, oh, okay, uh, something exciting is actually happening. When we got to see some of the wide receivers coming off the board in the early 20s, we start to see some things. Uh, but to close off the draft, nothing hit a home run more than the Kansas City Chiefs. With the close-up on Andy Reid, uh, the webcam right up to his face like a like a stereotypical boomer in these zoom web calls maybe he was just uh, flaunting on people and messing with people but he chooses Clyde Edwards Lair out of LSU. And now my main issues with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and if you've seen some of my previous content, was that he was in just a perfect system, the best potentially, and a lot of people will claim it as the best college offense of all time. He caught 55 balls last year after only catching 11 balls the year before. This spike in production, could it be sustainable when you're coming from the best offense ever in college to potentially going in the second or third round to any team in the NFL that might not hit that same caliber? But no, oh no, no. Did he go to the number one team you possibly could to player comp and really team comp over from college. You get an Andy Reid offense led by Patrick Mahomes after going from a Joe Brady offense led by Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick this year. It does not get much sweeter for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire than that. So I was skeptical on it. I am no longer skeptical, or at least not as skeptical based on his landing spot. Now, there's still a major concern with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and it's not so much the competition. You do have Damian Williams back there on his final year of his contract. Damian Williams is due $1.85 million this year in the final year of his two-year extension. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, as a first-round pick, is likely going to make more than that. We have to wait and see what their negotiations are, but likely will make somewhere around $2 million as the 32nd pick in that draft base salary with a $10 million plus dollar contract at that spot. So draft capital wise, and the actual compensation that you put into him, aka the draft capital, is going to likely push Clyde Edwards-Alaire at least a little bit up the ladder ahead of Damian Williams to start out the season 
no no reason why Williams can't compete for it, uh, but you're drafting a a young 21-year-old running back in the first round. It's likely that he's going to play a decent amount. Now, some of the main issues with Clyde Edwards-Lair and one that still stands the, the test of time is going to be his pass protection, especially with Patrick Mahomes there. Now, Mahomes did get injured last year, and that was uh, because of a weird play that really didn't have to do with any pass protection reasons, especially from the running back position. But Clyde Edwards-Lair, his pass protection, his size and speed in general, ran a 4640 is the concern for many coaches, but not Andy Reid. And you can tell, I mean, they've, they've drafted Kareem Hunt before him and, and had him in that offense, a very similar type of a build, although not as slow with the 4-6-0 uh, speed. But you do have Clyde Edwards-Alaire struggling with some sort of pass protection issues. That would be the main thing that would keep him up the field. But that's a lot of time to be working on that, at least if he gets some time with some sort of camp before the season starts. So, I mean, there's a ton of positives to talk about when you're talking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, you can look uh, right away and see that according to Pro Football Focus, he was their number two graded overall rusher last year, an 85 PFF grade. He had 55 receptions and he was the most valuable running back in wins above replacement in the entire country last year. Now he's a very elusive runner. He can obviously pass catch passes. And because of all those things, it's going to make a perfect fit in this Kansas City Chiefs offense. He's hard to ignore. Uh, if you're drafting in dynasty formats, he's very, very hard to ignore. If you're drafting in redraft formats, he's going to be uh, definitely in dynasty leagues, probably a top 25 pick or so. If you're drafting in normal redraft formats and, and it's just season long for you and it's not a dynasty format, he's going to be very similar to that as well. No keeper league style. He's going to be somewhere up there if you're drafting him a 10-team standard league is going in the first three rounds now in drafts. And I really can't argue with it when you're going to the best offense as a first round draft capital running back, at least as of right now, before we hear any reports on it. His bad negatives or that is his pass protection. He's a little bit slower and he's a little bit smaller, but a lot of that could be compensated in the offense that you are indeed in. I do think that this was a, a out of nowhere type of deal. I thought DeAndre Swift would make more sense here. But Clyde Edwards Slayer is going to have a ton of opportunity here and I cannot wait to see how this plays out. The third wide receiver taken off the board last night at pick number 17, comp by many to be the number one wide receiver in this draft, but it kind of does make sense as to why he fell, and we can break it down a little bit. He goes number 17 overall to Dallas, who didn't need a wide receiver, but you end up with C.D. Lamb on your roster, and now you end up with some elite weapons. Just factor out the great offensive line that lost Travis Fredericks, of course, but still has Ezekiel Elliott, and now you have Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb as your three wide receiver. Shout out to Dak Prescott for the weapons that you were about to have on this 2020 season, but how does this all break down, and why did it happen? Well, we know that John Gruden loves speedsters. I mean, he went out and he, he thought Tyrell Williams was his wide receiver one last year, and I guess he was technically. Um, but in theory and in times, he does like speedsters. So you see Henry Ruggs go 12 overall. And you do see, and it makes a little bit of sense, Jerry Judy go 15 overall. And we'll talk about it to the Broncos. And that makes sense because they already have their alpha X wide receiver in Cortland Sutton. He dropped way too low for the Dallas Cowboys because he was picked at number 17 when they really didn't need him. He was probably just circled as the best player left on the board by a wide margin and that they wanted him. Mike McCarthy goes out and he acts like a boss with Jerry Jones on the phone, as you can see last night. And he snags a wide receiver that his Green Bay Packers did not snag this year when they needed it. Flex on them, Mike McCarthy. So he's going to be an ex-wide receiver type of a role. That's where he played. He did not play in the slot all that much in college. Now in 2019, he did play 26% of his snaps there. So there's going to be this rotating door, most likely, of Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb heading into the slot. But Amari Cooper has had a ton of success in the slot. And really, it's a spot where I think he actually deserves to play. A little bit smaller of a wide receiver, but very, very fast and can be quick off the line of scrimmage. And his route running sets up nicely in the slot. When you have an elite route runner and you only allow them to use one side of the field and you don't put them in the slot as much, it's going to hurt 
hurt them. So that's why you see people like Keenan Allen heading into the slot. You see people like a Stefan Diggs heading into the slot a lot more last year. Devontae Adams keep naming the elite route runners and you're going to see them. Antonio Brown did it as well. So now with CD Lamb out there, it allows Amari Cooper to easily be pushed into the slot a little bit more just naturally. And I think it's going to help this offense a whole ton. Now, I actually think this is good for CD Lamb. It's not the greatest spot for CD Lamb. You would have liked to see him to go to San Fran and be the clear number one, or at least right there with Debo Samuel. Now he's got three heads to peck on, but I actually think it hurts Michael Gallup more. Michael Gallup coming off of a breakout year, coming off a year where he probably performed better than Amari Cooper just stayed a little bit healthier. But Michael Gallup in this situation is going to actually drop now to the 2A, 2B with CD Lamb, if not the number three once the season comes. And that's going to hurt his stock a lot, especially for people who already have drafted. Now, CD Lamb is 6'2", 198 pounds and ran a 4.540. So I think it's all fine there. He's a 90 overall grade from 2019. And his stats do not lie. 62 receptions for over 1,300 yards and 14 touchdowns last season. A 25% target share is what he was ending up dealing with. And he saw 40% of his snaps and in, in overall targets from the slot, 39.8 to be exact. The last two years, a 3.42 yards per route run. For those of you that don't know, that's a very clean efficiency metric. And you can see on the screen that his best player comp is Jerry Rice. So a player profile, shout out Matt Kelly, really, really loving uh, the CD lamb here, but the pros and cons of his game. So the downside is, if anything, speed, and that's really not that much of a downside for him. His double moves are not great, but that's something that you learn a little bit more in the NFL. And he's not going to be pressured to use as much when you have Amari Cooper out there. And he potentially played in a little bit of a weaker conference compared to some of these Bama receivers that we'll talk about, but it's hard to knock that against him. He has elite release. He's good against press coverage. He's good after the catch. His route running is pristine, and it's only going to get better when you're playing next to a guy like Amari Cooper. I mean, just think about it this way. As a true freshman, his first year in college ever, again, amongst grown men, if you will, he caught 46 receptions for 807 yards and seven touchdowns. Absolutely fantastic. I think this helps Jack Prescott by far the most and his weapons. I think it hurts Michael Gallup the most. I think it's just a meh wait and see spot for CeeDee Lamb in his first year, and I don't think it actually hurts Amari Cooper a ton. It's obviously going to hurt him when you bring a first round wide receiver talent into the door, especially one like CeeDee Lamb. But I do think it does help Amari Cooper in terms of getting into the slot where he can increase his production and maybe neutralize this threat of CeeDee Lamb being in the offense a little bit more. So CeeDee Lamb goes number 17 overall to the Dallas Cowboys in round one. Who is Henry Ruggs? Well, he's the first wide receiver off the board, very similar to, if you remember, Hollywood Brown from the Baltimore Ravens, Marquise Brown. They seem to be walking into very, very eerie similar situations. Hollywood Brown goes first off the board last year, although not be it until I believe somewhere around pick 20. And he's going into an offense that has an established tight end, a very young and, and promising tight end, but no true number C wide receiver one. Now you have a speedster like Hollywood Brown going into an offense with a very established, I guess you can say, and young and upside tight end, and really the tight end one wide receiver one on the offense in Darren Waller, and no true wide receiver one. Nelson Aguilar is not a wide receiver one. Tyrell Williams, I believe, has proved time and time again to be a very strong wide receiver two, if anything. I think the issue for Henry Ruggs is, though, he is a speedster for all of you that don't know, the 4-2-7 speed. He never had a ton of production in college because, I mean, he was playing in an offense that was just loaded, i.e. Jerry Judy was also in that offense somebody who got picked very similar to him. But the issue is Henry Ruggs doesn't profile out as a wide receiver one. He profiles out as a nice complimentary piece for a team like potentially the Packers who already have a Devontae Adams, for a team like potentially the Vikings who already have an Adam Thielen, somebody who has an ex-wide receiver. Even heck, Denver would have made a fine option for him if they already have Cortland Sutton. But when you already have Tyrell Williams, a burner, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me to go out and get Henry Ruggs. You can almost see this coming because John Gruden loves his speedsters. You already saw him take a guy like Tyrell Williams and he thought he was the wide receiver one already for him for some reason. 
reason, uh, I guess in the past season, I guess he technically was, like we said earlier, but Henry Ruggs is a speedster who doesn't, in my opinion, grade out as a wide receiver one overall. If you're looking at his 2019 stats, only 40 receptions for around 750 yards and seven touchdowns. He played the slot 18% of the time, so that's good to see. If you can get a speedster in the slot, a lot more can open up for him. We've seen that with McCole Hardman in the Chiefs offense last year, a rookie who didn't get a ton of time, but when they put him in the slot, big plays were made because his mismatches on slot cornerbacks with his speed was just so much of an advantage for McCole Hardman, and it can be that same advantage for Henry Ruggs. I'd be a little bit concerned with the speedster not having Patrick Mahomes throw you these deep passes and get you open deep with Derek Carr doing it. It's a little bit of a concerning factor, especially when Derek Carr thrives a little bit more in the intermediate range than the short or deep range. So that hurts a little bit. Darren Waller's likely still going to be the wide receiver one option in this John Gruden offense, especially with the rapport he developed with uh, Derek Carr last year. As we've seen in the past, Derek Carr will focus on really one guy in the middle of the field and stick to them. Mari Cooper a lot in the middle of the field of production when he was there. You saw it happen a little bit with Michael Crabtree, a secondary guy, but that's a totally different comp than Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs has been comp to Marquise Goodwin, 49ers, and then Santana Moss, former Redskin. So the pros are obvious. I mean, the speed is there for him. He can be used as a Swiss army knife type of a weapon with his end rounds because of his speed. Overall, if you're looking at it, he has very good release. The issues for him overall is that when he faced press coverage and tight coverage, he was not as good when people were tightly on him. So physical cornerbacks, which you're going to see a lot of in the NFL, can hurt him. His contested catch radius was not there as well. He's a smaller wide receiver in general, less than 190 pounds, under six foot. So that's never really going to be his type of a thing as a contested catch type of guy. And he never had a huge breakout college season, which maybe it's not a knock on him as much of just being in a great offense with other fantastic wide receivers, likely three first round wide receivers are going to be in that offense that played at Alabama last year. So I do think Henry Ruggs is a fantastic option. I would have never taken him first overall out of all the wide receivers. I would have probably taken him personally fourth. Henry Ruggs is a burner. I'm excited to see what he can do. Hollywood Brown-esque, but we know Hollywood Brown-esque last year. It did work out when Hollywood Brown was healthy. Hollywood Brown also was a clear cut wide receiver one going into that. Henry Ruggs, not yet that option, although the draft capital will tend to believe that it might be the case. Tyrell Williams is still out there. They did acquire Nelson Aguilar. So I do think Ruggs is fine, but he's not going to be that breakout type of a player, at least early on for me in fantasy formats. Man, doesn't Jerry Judy just just look cool? Doesn't he just look like a guy that you would want to hang out with? Uh, I don't know if he looks like an extra Migo. He's kind of got a little bit of offset in him. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. But Jerry Judy goes 15th overall to the Denver Broncos, the number two wide receiver taken off the board. And I think it makes a ton of sense. Yes, C.D. Lamb was there for the taking, but the Denver Broncos already have Cortland Sutton. They don't really need that other X-factor receiver. It would have been great on the outside to have C.D. Lamb and Cortland Sutton, and that sounds great. But now you get to put Jerry Judy, likely for a lot of his snaps, into the slot where he played 54.3% of the times at Alabama and saw 60% of his targets last year out of the slot. He's 6'1", 193 pounds. He ran a 4'4", and that was actually seen as very good at the combine, one of the standouts, an 86 PFF grade in 2019. He had over 75 receptions for around 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns last year on over 105 targets, 15 yards per reception at Alabama in 2019. A ton of action in the slot, like we were already saying, 600 total slot snaps and a 25% target share last year. I love this because you can put Jerry Judy in the slot and it doesn't directly impact the role of Cortland Sutton. Yes, there's going to be another talented wide receiver on the field, but that does not mean it takes away from the role and production of Cortland Sutton at all. It's a guy in a totally separate role. Jerry Judy's role is not going to be the X factor on the team. He's going to be running different routes out of the slot, Z routes, X uh, Y routes, whatever it's going to be, where Cortland Sutton is still going to be prioritized on a lot of the plays in this offense. It's just not the type of player that Jerry Judy is. It's, it's not the type of player out of the slot that anybody is going to be. They're not going to impact that wide receiver one as much. If anything, it'll act as a complementary piece to move some attention towards the middle of the field and maybe even get some of these cornerbacks that play on the outside 
added sometimes into the slot if Jerry Judy can start to produce. And man, oh man, should he produce? He's one of the best route runners, if not the best pure route runner. And I think he is the best pure route runner in this entire class. You saw an elite 3.49 yards per route run as a slot receiver. That is elite. There's not a lot of people who can do that at any level of football, let alone at Alabama in the SEC. His speed in the open field is absolutely fantastic. It is a weapon. And out of the slot, all these trades put together, elite route running with speed and deception and a crazy dead leg is going to be fantastic for Jerry Judy in fantasy football and in the 2020 NFL season. The downsides are his catch radius, which doesn't matter as much for a slot wide receiver. And he's not much of a guy who faced a ton of press coverage out of the slot, which again, not a lot of wide receivers will face press coverage out of the slot. So that's okay moving to the NFL. I personally think Jerry Judy was the number one wide receiver in this class. And I'm excited to see what he can do in a role that makes a ton of sense for him. The only question marks now is, is the quarterback playing Drew Locke going to hold up enough? We saw Drew Locke favoring the slot in tight ends a lot more as the season ended. Think about Noah Fant's quote unquote breakout before he got injured last year. And he wasn't targeting Cortland Sutton mainly because of probably confidence and just couldn't get him the ball downfield during those final four or five games of the 2019 campaign. So Jerry Judy, I love the role. I love where the talent fits on this team. In my opinion, Jalen Rieger was wildly underrated in this draft. I had him number four and really rivaling number three overall right behind one, Jerry Judy, and two, CeeDee Lamb. I actually wanted to put Jalen Rieger ahead of Henry Ruggs for most NFL teams. It depends on your situation. I think the Eagles got an absolute gem here, and I do agree with their decision to take Jalen Rieger over Justin Jefferson for their specific team needs. Jalen Rieger is 5'11 and 206 pounds. He ran a 4'47 out of TSU. Looks very good. I think it's a strong move for what they need. You get a young talent who, in theory, out of college, especially at the age that he is right now, at 21 years old, should stay healthier than Alshon Jeffrey, who's just been on the shelf with injuries nonstop, than Deshaun Jackson, who's burner has turned into a broken engine, if you will, in terms of his injuries the past couple of seasons. Jalen Rieger only had 43 receptions for 600 yards on 88 targets because he only played 12 games last year, but he still saw a 23% target share. He still played close to 15% of his snaps out of the slot, and he's played over 1,500 total snaps over the last two years, um, and he had 784 in 2019. So he's taking on a very huge workload, and a lot of this can be a factor of his offense. His offense just was not great. Poor quarterback play in 2019. Only 30% of his targets were deemed catchable. Think about that. He had 88 targets and only 30% of them were deemed catchable passes. So you can't knock him for his 2019 stats. And I don't think a lot of coaches did. The Philadelphia Eagles taking a shot at him and paying him a good amount of money as a wide receiver one draft capital kind of tell us that they did not really worry about that all that much. I mean, the pros are that he's elite after the catch and his speed does look fantastic. He's one of the best ones in this draft at 4.47. His double moves have been great. He's built in a very, very great, in, in a manner of way of almost a Justin Blackman, if you remember him. And then he's a young weapon. That's just what you need right now for this team. There are cons, of course, for him. I mean, his versatility off the line of scrimmage, especially against press coverage out of the TCU, worst uh, opponents in general, you didn't really see a lot of it. That's a little bit concerning. And then he drops balls a good amount, which can be fixed in the NFL, and his ball tracking was not as great. Philadelphia Eagles fans know Nelson Aguilar's ball tracking was not that great, so we have to get that shirt up for sure. But Jalen Rieger on the outside probably moves into the slot a good amount as he's played there. Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson. There's going to be a lot of two wide receiver sets because of two tight end sets with Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. We've seen that nonstop over the last two to three years in this Doug Peterman offense. So it'll be interesting to see who they go with there. The first Sean Talon and Jalen Rieger on the outside with maybe an Alshon Jeffrey, uh, maybe a Deshaun Jackson on some plays. So those two wide receiver sets are going to really test who's going to be on the field out of this wide receiver rotation. But taking a first round pick on Jalen Rieger, I think he deserves to be on the field. His speed, his agility, his burst score, all those things really make him a favorable player in my opinion. And here's the biggest thing out of Jalen Rieger. His breakout age, as you can see on player profile or over my screen, and maybe it's right behind me so you can't see it, was 
was 18.7 years old. If you can break out before you turn 20, that's fantastic because that shows that you get it early. That shows that you've had success and you know what you were doing, that you just have pure goddamn talent. Justin Jefferson was seen as many in the draft to be the safer option, but he doesn't show as much versatility in his game and he was propped up by a very good offense. Now, I do think Justin Jefferson, a two-star recruit, to be able to do what he did in that LSU offense out of the slot or really a slot plus deserves a ton of credit. All but two of his receptions last year were from the slot. So he's a very one-dimensional player. But is he going to play that exact same role at the 22nd overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft first round? by the Minnesota Vikings? The answer I would say is I doubt it because you have Adam Thielen there, because you have Busy Johnson there, who was not that great last year, but primarily played the slot wide receiver role. But the biggest answer is, and the biggest reason is that you have two tight end sets going to be used very heavily there in Kyle Rudolph and second year now player, former rookie last year, Irv Smith Jr., who adds a lot of versatility. So naturally, when you have two tight end sets, 12 personnel, you're going to have probably Adam Thielen and now Justin Jefferson on the outside. So although he did catch 109 of his 111 passes last year and play 93% of his snaps out of the slot, I do think that Justin Jefferson is going to have to add versatility up. And that's where a lot of question marks start to come in. The upside for him is he's going to be playing with a very accurate quarterback in general. He is a very good contested catch player. He's a 6'1", over a 200 pound body. So that's going to help. And he does have good speed, 4-4-3 speed with player comps to Reggie Wayne as he comes out of LSU. He's good on double moves. He breaks a lot of tackles. The downside is that he doesn't get a ton of separation. And if you're going to be moving him out of the slot where separation does indeed matter, but your route running matters a little bit more. Now to the outside, where separation is going to matter a ton, that is a big question mark. And then the other big question mark is now you're going from um, the number one offense potentially ever with Joe Brady and a Joe Burrow in your offense, a pass first offense and offense just love throwing the ball. Again, we talked about 55 receptions to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So now an offense where you have an accurate quarterback in a Kirk Cousins, but a team that probably wants to run the ball a lot with Alexander Madison and really Dalvin Cook, number one in that offense. So Justin Jefferson, I think he's a fantastic prospect. I think he's sort of a safe prospect, but the biggest question for this specific team here is will he be able to adapt and move to the outside? That will determine his fantasy success or not. He's going to slide in right away as a wide receiver two ahead of Busy Johnson, in my opinion, on this team. Based on the track history of Adam Thielen's injuries over the past year and a half or so, he might have even more upside than that. The sixth and final, and if you had the over five or over five and a half wide receivers taken in the first round, bet with you, I say congratulations, uh, was a very good bet in my opinion. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, San Francisco 49ers, who traded up to get the 22-year-old out of ASU at pick 25. And now I understand why they probably traded up. The Packers at 26 needed a wide receiver. Ayuk, a lot of guys, a lot of NFL teams have been stated to like him a lot more than maybe draft Twitter does, but you do have Brandon Ayuk here. And it seems to be a spot where the San Francisco 49ers went and got their guy, if you will. Now, the downside to what I would say right away at Ayuk's game, and I hate to start with negatives, is that he broke out at 21 and a half years old. He only really has one sample on him of having a ton of production, and that was in 2019 when he had nearly 1,200 yards, when he had eight touchdowns on 99 targets. He saw a 27% target share, and he did play 16% of his snaps out of the slot, seeing 3.04 yards per route run. The issue with Brandon Ayuk is the fact that he, yeah, he only had one year of production. He didn't do a ton in breaking out when he was 18, 19, 20, even 21. It took him until he was almost 22 year old to really break out. And that's a concern for how it translates over. He finally figured out college in his last year. Now you're going to get thrown into the NFL. How long is it going to take you to figure out those types of systems, not only on offense, but the defensive schemes around you? And this is why I like the situation for him is because you're going into an offense that makes those things so much easier. You saw Debo Samuel have a ton of success. You seen Jimmy Garoppolo have a ton of success. Uh, Undrafted free agent running backs are having a ton of success in the Kyle Shanahan San Francisco 
Francisco offensive system. So I do indeed like it. A six foot guy, 205 pounds, ran a four five forty, and his player comps are Pierre Garçon and Victor Cruz. I think it all makes a lot of sense. Now you're going into an offense where I think right away he has the upside as the X receiver likely on the outside to take a lot of snaps and work away from Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel's stock only continues to get hurt. They trade up. They trade up and give up value to pick a wide receiver. They have Jalen Hurd, who was injured last year in the preseason, coming back now for this next year. And Debo Samuel relied a ton of his production, three touchdowns, 300 rushing yards on the ground last year, which is not something that is all that sticky. So I think the biggest loser, and maybe this one of the biggest losers in the entire draft, might indeed be uh, Debo Samuel, a guy who has a lot of a sex appeal, if you will, in the fantasy community. Brandon Ayuk is a very uh, unproven prospect, I would say, in my opinion. I think I like the stature of him. I like what I saw last year, and I like indeed the landing spot even more. This Kyle Shanahan offense is going to be very offensive skill player friendly, going to scheme them open a good amount. So he maintains his speed through contact. This is a pro. He's an explosive player. You get him to sell his routes. He has a nasty deg lead, and he did play a ton of special teams, which is a translatable stat in the NFL. You saw Deontay Johnson doing it last year. You've seen a ton of players, T.Y. Hilton in the past, doing this year in and year out. Uh, Des Bryant, guys who do play special teams in college usually have a different type of skill set that they bring and transfer over to the NFL. And they also can just get on the field a lot more because there's more tape on them. And two, there's more practice reps on them when they're playing on the special teams unit. And now the downsides, the main ones are just his age and really when he broke out at that age of around 21 and a half, 22 years old. So I do think that he's going to slide into this offense as really the X wide receiver. I mean, you take him, you trade up for him. It shows that they have a lot of intentions of playing him. Debo Samuel is there. So I think they've shored this offense up for Jimmy Garoppolo for sure. And obviously you still have George Kittle there. So he's going to be that 2A, 2B option, in my opinion, with Debo Samuel, with George Kittle being the number one option still in this passing game. And now quickly, we'll just go through the four quarterbacks that actually uh, have, were drafted in this draft. And not all of them are actually going to matter all that much. So you get Joe Burrow. And I think he's coming into a very good situation as the quarterback overall one. Now, in the long term, the Bengals are a terrible organization to play for because they don't play pay their players. But in the short term, you're going to an offense that has Joe Mixon set to just absolutely break out entering the peak of his career. You have AJ Green on the downturn of his career with question marks, but still a very solid wide receiver to be having. And then Tyler Boyd, a guy who has seen to show really a lot of success when he is not named, deemed the number one wide receiver out of the slot. So with AJ Green back, that should help Tyler Boyd. And you also have a speedster on the outside and John Ross who started to break out last year before injury really hurt that. So the biggest thing for now, the Bengals is to acquire offensive linemen, acquire people who can actually block for this guy. They had one of the worst offensive lines last year, and that really hurt anybody that they put behind center. Uh, thankfully, Joe Mixon can pass protect, and that can help a little bit, but you need to go get offensive linemen. I think Joe Burrow is walking into a situation that is better than a lot of overall early quarterback picks in drafts. I think he has a ton of talent around him, and I think the biggest thing is that Zach Taylor seems to be, at least seems to be, a good and smart head coach who is going to design a smart offense around Joe Burrow and not put his offense on top of Joe Burrow. So I do think, obviously, first overall pick, the talent that he had at LSU last year, over 5,000 yards, winning the national championship, all that behind a bad offensive line, mind you, I do think this is a fine spot. And I think he has an elevated start based on the talent that surrounds him. So nobody traded up to three. Nobody took the calls. I mean, Detroit was taking calls, but nobody made the calls from the Chargers in Miami to trade up to number three. And the Jags, in theory, were making the calls, but they didn't make them once the draft started, according to Adam Scheffler. So Tua goes at number five overall, the second quarterback to Miami. And I don't think he starts right away. We'll have to see once this whole coronavirus thing is over, depending on when you're watching this, and actually see if he's 100%. If he's 100%, he can actually go out there and start playing. And then uh, I don't know how early they play him with these injury concerns. But even if he sits for a year, you have Ryan Fitzpatrick, do whatever you have to do. I think they've had a very good draft so far. Number two overall prospect on my board, I had 
had this as number one, Burrow, number two, Tua, and number three, Chase Young. So I think taking that quarterback at five for Miami makes a ton of sense instead of waiting to 18 and hoping that Herbert and or Love is there. I think this is a completely different talent gap here. So now it's just a wait and see game. Will he be healthy enough? Will he start at all this year? Or is it just going to be redshirt him in the NFL? We see, we hear that a lot, right? We hear redshirt this guy, let him sit a year or two, and then he'll play. Now to his injuries kind of make you want to do that a lot more, but we see it every single time. If Ryan Fitzpatrick goes out there in week six, this Miami team is one and five and he's throwing in pick sixes left and right. There's going to be a lot of pressure on the coaching staff to put Tua into that game. And when the pressure comes, if Tua is healthy and says he can play, I think you might see him in that game. So I do not think he's automatically redshirted this year. I think it's a wait and see game. So we have two quarterbacks left, but this is probably the last one who actually has an upside in starting this year. You have Tyrod Taylor there with his head coach, his former head coach that he's going to have with the Chargers there in Lynn. But you do have now Justin Herbert taking sixth overall. And with that draft capital, he is the guy of your future. And I do think it likely becomes sometime this season, if not right at the start, if we can see some sort of quarterback competition in camp. So he's taken very soon. There's likely to be a battle and his draft stock should let him leap Tyrod Taylor. Definitely by next year, he's going to be the start of this team. Can he get there this year? Can he silence the critics like you saw Josh Allen do in the past couple of years? Can he silence those critics or is he just going to be somebody that suppresses to the moment at six overall? I do like Justin Herbert. I know that there's a lot of critics and doubters on him. So that pushed down his perception to a lot of people, but I do think he was at least in a good spot in this system with the talent around him going to the Chargers to make a splash. Tyrod Taylor is a fine quarterback. He's a very good veteran quarterback. He's not just going to be a pushover here. He has had to battle with rookies the last better part of the last three years. If you remember, Baker Mayfield, who started over Baker when Baker was taken first overall. Uh, So I don't have any issues and I don't believe that this is automatically Justin Herbert's team for this year. But I think at some point, especially Tyrod being mobile, if there is an injury like there was when Baker came in at halftime of that Thursday night football game early in the season three years ago or two years ago, I do think that there's a good chance you see Justin Herbert playing this year and is yet to be seen. His best comp, at least on player profile, is indeed Drew Locke. And then the final offensive skill position player outside of offensive linemen, they're not offensive skill players, but Jordan Love gets taken. The Packers trade up for their man, even though nobody was probably going to take him between picks 26 and 29. Packers had the 30th pick in the draft. They end up trading up to 26 to draft Jordan Love. And now I think this is going to ruffle a lot of feathers, starting with one Packers fans like myself, but two, Aaron Rodgers is going not going to be happy. He's already stated that he wants to win now. You have three or four more years left of Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love is going to sit for that long. And I get it. People are probably watching this and saying the same exact thing was said when Aaron Rodgers was picked at the exact same age when Brett Favre was even older than Aaron Rodgers is now. Yes, but Aaron Rodgers was a borderline number one overall pick talent. Like he was mocked in a lot of places to go number one overall ahead of Alex Smith. He drops into the 20s and he's just this this guy as if Tua would have dropped into the 20s in this draft, right? That's similar to what's happening here. And now you have Aaron Rodgers sitting there and the Packers take him at that point because he's a superior talent. Jordan Love is very much regarded as a project quarterback who's likely a second day overall quarterback if you have a couple of years to develop him. Not a guy that you trade up for in the first round. So people that want to say this is the exact same thing as Aaron Rodgers. No, no, no. The talent is completely, completely different there in the levels of it. Right now you have a window of opportunity of Aaron Rodgers with three or four more years. Go and get him weapons instead of taking your time and really wasting your time on Brett Hundley 2.0. Shout out Matt Jajewski on Twitter for pointing that out. Yes, they, they took Brett Hundley, what, five, six years ago in the draft for no apparent reason, somewhat early. I think this makes uh, no real sense in my opinion. Now, maybe this will be a a hot takes or a cold takes exposed in the future, uh, but a very odd pick, especially to trade up and give up draft capital to go get this guy where he won't play for three to four years. And yes, that sounds a lot like Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre, but Aaron Rodgers was a far superior talent in his draft than Jordan Love was. So I appreciate you tuning into this one. We went through the only quarterback taken so far. I'll be doing a full draft recap after the draft next Monday. We'll start to get into a lot of rookie breakdowns. We'll start to get into a lot of dynasty breakdowns as the fantasy football season gets closer and closer. If you watch the entire video, let me know in the description in the comments down below. I want to say thank you personally. Hit that subscribe button before you go. Thank you so much. You can check out my 
exclusive content over on Patreon. And soon, very soon, I will be having my draft guide releasing for the 2020 NFL season. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and peace out, gang.